Hello everyone! California Governor Gavin Newsom has made national headlines lately for a lot of reasons. One is a surprising veto that we actually agreed with him about. Uh, he's made a pick for the U.S. Senate that has gotten everyone talking, um, and a few other things as well. So we're here to break down everything Gavin Newsom since he's made these national headlines lately. And with me I have our friends at California Family Council, our ally in that state, We've got Jonathan Keller, the president of California Family Council, and Sophia Laurie, the outreach director of California Family Council. So Sophia, Jonathan, welcome to you both. Thank you for taking time to share about your state's governor with the rest of the country. Great to be here. Thanks, Autumn. Yeah, thank you so much, Autumn. Absolutely. So for those who don't live in your state, as beautiful as it is, we know it's not really a friendly state for social conservatives. So for those who are social conservative in the rest of the country, give us a little breakdown of Governor Newsom's policies. Oh, man. Well, let me start off on this and then I'll kick it over to Sophia. But obviously, Gavin Newsom has been the governor now for five years. Uh, he was elected after Jerry Brown was in 2018 in that first kind of midterm wave during the Trump administration. And he pretty quickly set himself towards becoming the anti-Trump, anti-conservative uh, standard bearer for the entire country. I mean, over and over, we saw him talk about fighting the Trump administration. We saw him suing the Trump administration with his attorney general, Javier Becerra, at the time. And we've seen that really continue over the last five years. Of course, President Trump is out of office now, but that has not stopped Gavin Newsom from continuing to push a really radical policy agenda. And look, I wish that I could say, I know that in some states around the country, we talk to some of our allies, and this isn't even a Republican versus Democrat issue. We talk with some of our friends like Gene Mills down in Louisiana. He actually has a great relationship with some of the conservative, Christian, pro-life Democrats in his state. I wish, I pray that we would have Democrats like that here in the state of California, but unfortunately, that is not what we have with Gavin Newsom. Whether it's on any of the issues that social conservatives care about, pro-life issues, marriage, family issues, parental rights, religious liberty, sadly, Gavin Newsom seems to basically be on the wrong side of all of those issues. And he can talk a good game. He is a parent himself. He has four young children. I don't doubt that he loves his children. He and his wife seem to have a good uh, marriage and a good relationship. But tragically, all the policies that they are pushing are disastrous for moms and dads and boys and girls. Absolutely. Like you said, touching on his children, Jonathan, he pushes legislation and signs into law these bills that are constantly attacking parents' rights. They're constantly attacking the safety and protection and innocence of children, especially in public schools. Yet his own children are in a private school. Um, his wife has stated before that they don't allow for their own children to have phones and social media and access to all of that. So it does seem like it's not a do as I do, but do as I say situation that we have here um, in California with Governor Newsom. And we watched that really play out this year, especially. That's that's exactly right. And I know we we worked with you all at California Family Council as you all were leading the fight against that kidnapping bill uh, that many of us in the social conservative movement called the kidnapping bill that Governor Newsom did sign into law. It allows the, your state to essentially take 
custody of other states' children if those children make it to that state, whether they're trafficked there, whether they run away, so that the state can take custody of them um, for instances like getting a, a gender transition or something like that. So I think you, you both have described it well, very radical anti-family policies. But since we're talking about his policies, let's, let's actually talk about a surprising veto that he just made of a bill that would have basically um, allowed the state to strip parents of custody if the parents didn't rubber stamp their child's gender transition. Obviously, this has been a very concerning issue across the country. 20 states now have laws that prohibit children from going through these extreme and experimental procedures that can leave them sterile before they're even age 18. So we fully, you know, in, in keeping in line with the governor there, his radical positions, we fully expected him to sign this into law. Um, so can you both, since you were there, you were live, you were fighting this bill from the ground up. Um, tell us what was the bill and why do you think Governor Newsom actually vetoed that? Why? I mean, it's it's surprising that we would actually agree with Governor Gavin Newsom on something. Well, I think this is one of those examples, sadly, of the old adage that either a a stopped clock is right twice a day or that people sometimes do the right thing for the wrong reason i wish that i could say that gavin newsom has seen the light he realizes the dangers of children going through these experimental and harmful gender transition procedures and this whole pathway to medicalization becoming a lifelong patient of the gender dysphoria industry and I wish that's why he had vetoed AB 957. But if you read his veto message carefully, he's very kind of nuanced in the way he talks about it. He talks about the dangers of separation of powers uh, concerns, saying we can't, as the legislature and the executive branch, tie the hands of the judiciary. But he also kind of wink, wink at the judiciary, says there's already broad discussion that, or excuse me, uh, broad, um, um, oh, shoot. You can tell that I was up too late last night with uh, family stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, there is there is broad uh, ability for these judges to make a decision to choose how they want to apply this to kids. They don't right now have the necessary uh, freedom to just completely ignore this. And I think Newsom is kind of nudging and hinting that even without this bill being signed, AB 957, there's still going to be the leeway for parents to lose their children. There's going to be the leeway for moms and dads to uh, lose custody of their children if one of them is a one of the parents is affirming a gender identity and the other one is opposing it. So I, I do want to take a little bit of credit, though, because I don't think he would have necessarily vetoed this bill without the huge groundswell of grassroots opposition. And Sophia, I'd let you talk about that. The event that we hosted at the Capitol on August 21st, I do think that that played a role in Governor Newsom vetoing this. Absolutely, that played a role. AB 957, it is a bill we've been fighting since January of this year. And we have had people calling in. Our call-in campaign has a couple thousand people that have called over the past couple months, urging legislators to vote no on this bill. But it kept passing through with flying colors because unfortunately we do have an extreme legislature here. And so we decided to hold a parents' rights rally and lobby day at the Capitol 
we saw about a thousand parents show up from across California at the steps of the Capitol to stand against quite a few bills, but one of them was AB 957. And as Jonathan stated, yes, Newsom did veto this bill and we celebrate that win. But we know he did it because ultimately he has been signing in extreme bills into law his past couple years as governor. And now he's waking up and realizing that when he does this, it doesn't just go under the cover anymore, that we are exposing it, that parents are aware. And I think the thousand of parents showing up to the Capitol and making it known that they know what's going on. They're posting on social media what's going on. They're letting their community know what's going on, that Governor Newsom can no longer sign these extreme bills without the rest of the nation finding out. I think that's really, really well said, Sophia. And I, I just want to point out for the views, viewers across the country, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for what you all are doing at California Family Council, because a lot of times we have the tendency to think that, oh, that's just that's just California. You know, they're extreme out there. We know the liberal policies are crazy. I don't live there. Thank God. Um, but that's not the case. What happens in California starts there and then it starts to spread across the rest of the country. And you both, you and California Family Council and the many, many, many of those supporting you, you're standing in the gap and you're making that stop. Um, so thank you so much, first of all, for doing that. I know it's it's not easy. Uh, for those watching who don't know, the family councils are standing in the gap for you at, at the state capitals across the country. And a lot of times that is thankless work. It can seem like dirty politics, uh, but really it's it means standing for your values uh, in, a, in a very real way and in a very exposed way. Um, and I think we're just so grateful for the work that you all do in the state capitals and doing that in a state like California is, is a very heavy lift. So thank you both just personally for what you're doing in your state. Um, now, I know that this veto that you've been talking about, some thought maybe perhaps he, he vetoed it just because it is so extreme and he might be considering, Governor Newsom might be considering a run for president, a challenge to President Biden. What do you all, you're out there in California, what do you make of those rumors? Well, I think that you would have to be kind of blind to think that Newsom, Governor Newsom is not at least considering a run for higher office. He has been on this long trajectory going all the way back to his time as the mayor of San Francisco, consistently trying to raise his profile, consistently getting in front of the cameras. I mean, we hear this a lot with different politicians, but it really is true with Gavin Newsom. Uh, he, he absolutely loves the spotlight. He loves being seen as this progressive fighter. And we've seen him not just focus on what California is doing, not just focusing on concerns in our own state, but he is always looking for the next level of leadership, or I should say at least maybe not leadership, but the next level of authority. <laughs> uh, we saw this when he was the lieutenant governor, for example, kind of like being vice president. The lieutenant governor's role in California has very little actual authority or power. But one of the few things that you actually have to do, just as an example, is sit on the board of regents for all the California colleges. Basically, you're overseeing what happens on a normal basis with all the higher education in the state. And yet, despite that being one of his few primary responsibilities through the California Constitution, he missed a significant percentage of those meetings while he was in office. Now that he's the governor of California, we've seen 
instead of focusing on some of our huge problems like homelessness in the state of California, issues of housing, the fact that it's increasingly unaffordable for people, especially people Sophia's age, to buy a house and to get that leg up on the American dream. Instead of that, Governor Newsom is traveling either to the UN or around the world and speaking about climate change. He's talking about all these different issues that are a national profile that's raising his visibility among the national donors. We saw last year during his re-election campaign, for example, he put pro-abortion billboards in multiple conservative states around the country because he was advertising the new abortion.ca.gov website here in California. He was essentially recruiting and inviting people to come to California and to get abortions if their uh, red state did not offer late-term surgical abortions. And interestingly, again, Autumn, like you were saying, he's doing this in states that are not other blue states. He's doing it in states that are red states, and in some cases, primary states, where you would need to raise your profile to win a future Democratic nomination. So I don't see how you can look at that and see the, the work to expand your profile nationally. You don't really see any other governor doing that. You don't see Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan doing that. You don't see JB, J.D. Pritzker in Illinois doing that. You don't even really see Andy Brashear from Kentucky, you know, a, a purplish state doing that. It, it's Governor Newsom and his war chest of huge campaign funds trying to spread that message all across the country. And whether he somehow ends up on the national ticket next year in 2024, or it is in 2028, I would just be shocked if we don't see him making a run at the White House very soon. Well, thank you for sharing that insight, Jonathan. I think that's a good distinction, too, that you made between authority, more the, the desire for more authority, um, and what real leadership looks like. And I do want to dig into just a little bit, at least for viewers who are watching from across the country and not just in California, what that could look like, uh, a Newsom, Newsom president, what that would mean for the rest of the country. But first, I think I'll ask you, Sophia, um, I, given that, given the, what Jonathan has said, I think that's probably pretty clearly why Governor Newsom is, has agreed to debate Governor DeSantis from Florida those two men could not be any more different on policies. Um, and, and I think that debate's going to be hosted by Sean Hannity, which is also very, very interesting. So, Sophia, what, what do you make of that? Why would Newsom debate DeSantis and what should we expect from that kind of lineup? Well, I absolutely think he's debating him because he is looking to either be on the ballot in 2024 or 2028 for presidency. And it's so interesting that he goes to debate him. You know, here in California, we have the highest gas prices. We have the highest rate of homelessness. We have the highest rate of poverty. We have the largest budget deficit. And yet he wants to debate the current Florida governor. He wants to debate DeSantis, where people are leaving California and going to Florida where people are thriving in Florida, where people are actually not having to pay $6 for gas in Florida or deal with homeless in their backyard and not having safe streets to walk on during the day. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that come up. Newsom likes to throw out a lot of these topics on Twitter. He likes to say that 
Florida has this don't say gay bill, which we all know isn't true. He likes to say all these things about Governor DeSantis, but ultimately the stats back up that Governor DeSantis is having Florida thrive as California's continuing to crash under Governor Newsom. So I think we're going to see a lot of those points come up because those are winning points for Governor DeSantis, as well as I think we're going to see the issue of trans ideology come up in that debate. We are seeing that California has become the sanctuary state for trans ideology. We are seeing these bills that Newsom is signing into law and Governor DeSantis is doing the exact opposite. He's actually protecting children from the mutilation and sterilization of their bodies. Governor Newsom seems to disagree with what DeSantis is doing. But again, we have the numbers on our side showing that the trans ideology is harming children. So that's probably what we're going to see a large part of the debate. I love that you pointed that out, Sophia. I think it's it was really funny with that uh, don't don't so called don't say gay bill was being bounced around in Florida, and of course, all that was was a bill to protect parental rights and transparency for parents in the classroom. It was overwhelmingly supported by even Democratic primary voters, so the most Democrat that you could possibly be in the state of Florida. And around that same time, the Disney company, who was fighting Governor DeSantis on that parental rights bill actually shipped a whole bunch of their workers and jobs from California to Florida. So we just, we got a, a big laugh out of that at Family Policy Alliance. I'm sure you all did too. Um, so this this is one of the last questions and it's for both of you actually, since we've been talking about what this could mean and what Governor Newsom's plans might be. What does, with these radical policies that he's put forward, Jonathan, you talked about billboards trying to get people to come to California for more abortion. Um, this trans ideology, how does that translate onto the national scene if Governor Newsom were to actually become president or seek out a presidential run? What does that look like nationally, do you think? Well, I think it's very interesting because he is trying to walk this fascinating fine line. I know we didn't get a chance to really talk about it in depth, but you mentioned at the top of the show the appointment of new Senator LaFonza Butler who is the replacement Gavin Newsom selected to fill the seat of the late Dianne Feinstein, who just passed away about a week ago. And in, in that case, he is responding kind of right on the heels of vetoing this bill, AB 957, that, that was very popular with the LGBT community. He's now appointing someone who is a black gay woman to this seat. I mean, he's trying to check as many identity politics boxes as possible. And it's it's funny to me because on the one hand, I think there is a little bit more tolerance and a little bit more willingness to accept someone like that in a legislative position versus signing a bill that is going to radically and dramatically affect parents on the ground. And the interesting thing that I think we're going to see is him trying to find a way to appease those most progressive, most kind of rabid elements of the pro-abortion, pro-transgender base while trying to not alienate parents. And I think you saw this. There was a very telling point that he had a couple weeks ago when the Republicans had the presidential debate in California. It was down in Simi Valley at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Governor Newsom was there as Joe Biden's spokesman, basically trying to get into the media room, the spin room, and reply to things. And a great journalist replied and said, hey, 
Governor Newsom, you know, how do you feel? Why, why do you think that parents shouldn't have a right to know what's happening to their children at school? He was referencing some of the work that CFC has been involved in alongside some other great allies in pushing pro-family, pro-parent notification policies at the school district level. And Governor Newsom completely avoided, he, he was asked multiple times and he kept trying to avoid this issue. He does not want to take a position on this. He said, oh, come on, this only applies to 1% of the population. You know, these, these kids just want to live. You know, this is the great distraction. Why aren't we talking about climate change? That affects 100% of the population. Why are we focusing on this 1% issue? And that's remarkable to me because I think it shows that even he realizes that these policies that he is definitely in favor of, he definitely would be promoting, and he signed, as you mentioned, Autumn, he signed a, the, the, the kidnapping bill last year, SB 107. The reason that he switched positions on this and the reason that he is now trying to minimize this is I think he really does see the long-term danger that this is for him, the vulnerability that it is for progressives and for the Democratic Party if they continue to pick fights with parents, both at the school board level, the state level, and at the national level. That's really well said. A very, very astute observation, Jonathan. I think that's right. We've seen parents rising up in Virginia, a purple state, parents obviously rising up in California, blue state, and then amazing wins for parents. And of course, the red states where there's a little bit more political uh, power to do something such as prohibiting these minor gender transitions, such as ensuring curriculum transparency and removing all the the problematic content like drag queen story hour and sexualized content from schools and classrooms and libraries. So I think you're, you're exactly right, Jonathan. He's kind of put his finger to the wind and said, this, this could be a problem for me. Um, Sophia, what, what about you? What do you think uh, Governor Newsom national uh, outlook is for the country? Well, I do think we're going to continue to see what he's started to do the past couple of months. He is very extreme. But to run for presidency, he realizes that he's going to have to reach the Democrats that aren't as extreme as what we see here in California. So we might see him lighten up on some of these things over the next couple months or year as he looks into potentially making this run for presidency. But as soon as he gets back into office, if he does become president, he will carry on with what he's done here in California by pushing these extreme anti-parent laws. He's going to push to make the rest of the nation what California currently is. And as Jonathan touched on with the whole identity politics and who we just saw him choose to be a senator, we're going to continue to see that happen as well. He really makes a push for putting people of color in office, which I think is amazing if you are qualified to be. We need to be in a country where people that are qualified for positions are taking positions, not based off of their sexuality, not based off the color of their skin. Myself as a Hispanic woman, I never want to get a position because of my race or because I'm a woman, but because I have the qualities that are needed for that position. And so unfortunately, we're going to see Newsom continue to play identity politics. And if we don't put a stop to this and bring awareness to how extreme he is here in California, we are going to see what's happening in California truly happen across the whole nation if he becomes president. That's a really, really good warning, warning bell for us, warning bell for you in California and for the rest of the country, Sophia. 
Um, but I, I also, I think I'm really encouraged actually by what both of you said, because of even Governor Gavin Newsom, definitely a radical on the left, there's no doubt about it, no friend to social conservatives. If even he is sticking his finger to the wind and saying, you know, I, I've gone perhaps too far if I want to seek higher office or like Jonathan, I think you said it really well. I don't want necessarily want to pick a fight with parents. That's encouraging. And that means that all of you all in the social conservative movement who are standing up, uh, taking positions on these issues and speaking out, that means that you are having an effect across the country. And it might seem small when you take a stand or say something in your local community, but that reverberates across the country. And it certainly, I know, is welcome to folks who are fighting for your values in the Capitol, like California Family Council and others. We hope that you will uh, consider partnering with your local family council. There are 40 of them. So if you're in California, please connect with Jonathan and Sophia and their organization. If you're not in California, please check out the, the family council in your state. And if you don't have one, uh, please connect with Family Policy Alliance. We would love to help get one started in your state. Our goal is 50. Um, but I want to end on, on, on this note of encouragement, I think, um, especially for those who are watching who are in states that are more challenging for social conservatives like California. We have quite a few. I saw somebody posting that they're from Virginia. I just saw somebody post that they're from Washington. This can be hard and I don't want to I don't want to sugarcoat it. The work that you all do in California at the Capitol, the event you hosted, getting people to come, um, it can seem hopeless. It can seem trying and it's a day in and day out fight. So I don't want to sugarcoat that. But it's so important. And I, I'm hoping, uh, both of you, Jonathan and Sophia, if you could just end by giving the viewers from those states that are a little bit more blue, a little bit more purple, um, some encouragement about the work that, that they do and taking a stand that it actually matters and why. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll just start by saying that we know the scripture verse that says nothing we do for the Lord is ever in vain. And I think that's a reminder, I think, for all of us. I know at California Family Council, and I know at so many of our fellow family policy councils around the country, something that I love about being in this movement is that it is a, it's a movement driven by our love for other people, and that love is driven by our love for Jesus Christ. And I think we just need to keep that in perspective because I'll be honest, you look at everything that's been happening in the country these last several years, I would be very discouraged if my ultimate hope was in the Republican Party <laughs> or in the social conservative movement or even in the Constitution. Ultimately, I think we need to remember that our true hope lies in our identity in Christ, in the fact that God created us male and female. He created us in his image. He created us to know him and enjoy him forever. And to have that opportunity to share that love, to share that truth, to share that hope with our fellow citizens. So a lot of times when we look at what happens in California, and I say this to my other friends in blue states, whether we're talking about our, our friend Peter Wolfgang in Connecticut or new director of Massachusetts Family Institute, Ian Hewitt, or Jason McGuire in New York. I mean, there's so many dark blue states that are facing similar headwinds to what we have out here in California. But I think the encouragement for me and the encouragement to anybody else in these dark blue states is to remember where our ultimate hope lies. And our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be 
always bearing witness to the truth and knowing that we're not always going to see a victory on a policy level. We're not always going to see a bill get vetoed, but sometimes the Lord gives us these opportunities. He He lets things happen that give us encouragement and hope. And Autumn, every day when Sophia and I and, I and our colleague Greg and many of our volunteers and the other groups we work with here in the state, when we are working with people on the ground, we are hearing from them every single day how grateful they are for groups like California Family Council, groups like Family Policy Alliance, because we are giving them both a voice and we are also equipping them to be a voice. And that's what I would just leave as uh, hopefulness is don't base your feelings of uh, self-worth or self-esteem or your moods on the whims of the legislature or certainly the whims of the governor in your state. But just remember that we are going to continue to be faithful and we're going to follow Jesus and he is going to bring the increase and he is going to give us opportunities uh, to be laborers in his harvest. Well, I can absolutely amen that, Jonathan. That's, that is wonderful. And it's so good to remember that our work is for an audience of one. That is so important. Uh, and then Sophia, we'll, we'll close out with you. What is your encouragement from a, a blue state like California? Well, my encouragement from California is so often you see on national news how horrible California can be. But what you're not seeing is here in California, parents are flipping school board seats. Parents are winning in their local communities. We're having a parent notification policy passed in seven school boards so far and hopefully more. We're seeing so many small wins. You might not be seeing it in the news, but the tides are turning here in California. Parents are getting their voices back and Christians and conservatives are standing up for what is right. And if you are in a blue state, when times get hard, what I continue to go back to is John 16, 33. And it states that in this world, we will have troubles, but to take heart because I have overcome the world. And that is God letting us know he's won the ultimate battle. So we're here to fight. We're here to spread God's word and the truth of God while we're here and to stand up for the protection and innocence of children. But we also have to take heart and remember that he's already overcome the ultimate battle and we will all get to celebrate that together in heaven one day. So fight while we're here, but take hope in that. I can amen that as well. Uh, Jonathan, Sophia, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that our viewers are encouraged as I am. Uh, we do this work day in and day out every day. It can sometimes get a little discouraging, but you both have personally encouraged me today. Um, and I just, I pray that that's the case for the viewers as well. For those of you watching, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. And uh, in the meantime, we hope that you will join us on SoconReport.com where you can get all the latest social conservative news and headlines. We've compiled them for you so you don't have to. So check us out there. Thank you again and have a great day. Brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.